trying to find it in my Bible, I knew that I had put it in here somewhere. D.L. Moody once said, Someday you'll read in the papers, D.L. Moody of East Northfield has died. Don't you believe a word of it. He said, At that moment I shall be more alive than I am now. I have shall gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal. A body at death can't touch, a sin can't taint. A body fashioned like unto His glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the Spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the Spirit will live forever. Amen. And I tell you, one day you're going to read, if you're still here, old Buffy Cook is dead in the obituary. Don't you believe a word of it? And won't it be a glorious day Amen. when the one that made sure that we can live eternally we see him for the first time? Mm. You know what that stand right there tells me? That's a man that takes his job serious. Amen. Brother, I appreciate that you don't think this is a job that he comes to be sure that your heart and my heart is prepared to worship the Lord and to receive Amen. his word. So thank you, brother, for that. If y'all can't have a good Thanksgiving after that, I don't know what's wrong with you. Now turn in your Bibles to Exodus 15. morning's message is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is my healer. Oftentimes when I see anyone in the office under 18 years old, I ask them what they want to be when they grow up. In fact, oftentimes I ask some over 18 the same question. <laughs> I always tell any that mention health care or law enforcement, you have chosen wisely, young grasshopper. Because I tell them that two things are true. Folks are always going to be doing stuff that they shouldn't. Amen? Amen? And getting in trouble and coming to see Miss Amy down at the jail. And folks are always going to be getting sick. And a look around our world, our nation, our community bears this out. Diabetes is on the rise. We have the opioid and mental health crisis. Viruses abound. If you've seen this new polio-like virus that's striking kids, cancer is epidemic. There's not going to shut down St. Jude and the House of Hope no time soon, are they? I mean, mosquito-borne illnesses, I can't even pronounce. Every hospital's full this time of year. It made me think, Jesus once said, the poor you will always have with you seems the same could and can be said of the sick. And so the bad news is, in this world, we have problems. We're going to get sick. It's inevitable. The good news is, God has a name for every problem we face. And with regards to sickness and illness and disease, it ain't no different. God says, I am the Lord, your healer, Jehovah Rapha. If we can't be thankful this week amongst many things that we have and know the great physician, our thanksgiver is broke. And so we're going to look at this under two aspects this morning, the revelation of the name Jehovah Rapha, and then our instruction today about the name Jehovah Rapha. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, Exodus chapter 15, just a few verses, 22 through 27. 
Moses writes, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter, therefore it was named Marah. Next we read, And the people rejoiced, right? And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we going to drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. Here it is. For I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. The Word of God of the people God and the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we just praise you. Father, that no matter the problems that we have in our life, that you have a name for each and every one of them. And so, Father, with regards to illness and sickness and disease, Father, as we come today, and maybe many of us even right now as we speak, either personally or in our family, there's someone or a loved one or a friend, Father, that is struggling with illness and sickness. And so, Father, we acknowledge that you are our Jehovah Rapha. And so, Father, we need this message today, if not for our own selves, that we can go out and we can encourage someone with this message today. I pray that, Father, like a pebble in a pond, that this message today would just have ripples. That, Father, we can take it out and share it with other people and give them the encouragement to know that, Father, there is coming a day and Jesus is going to set everything right and we will be with Him eternally and there will never be one more ounce of sickness or pain. And we thank You for the truth of that promise as contained in Your Word. Father, forgive us in the many ways in which we fail. You bless this preaching of this message this morning. For it's in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Alright, so first the revelation of the name Jehovah Rapha here in Exodus 15. Just set a little bit of context. Exodus 5, Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, oh, okay. Let them go, right? He said, no, not only get back to work, but now you make the same number of bricks by gathering your own straw. The Israelites are not happy and tell Moses, you're literally trying to kill us. So keep in mind, in Exodus 6, which we'll go there in a minute, God, through seven I wills, promises deliverance. If Buffy Cook says, I will do something, I might or I might not. If God says, I will do X, Y, or Z, you can take it to the bank, as we talked about this morning. He told them, I will. And so then Exodus 7 to 12 is ten plagues. Keep in mind, it's very important for this here that the first is water to blood. Water becomes undrinkable, bitter. And I mean, if you ever drink water that's got blood in it, you think it's going to make you well? It's probably going to make you sick. We'll talk more about that. You've got to keep that in mind as we come to this passage. So Exodus 12 to 14, they have the Exodus from Egypt, the miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea. You've got to keep that in mind. They had a water test before them. Here's a massive body of water and here comes the Egyptian army to get you. 
a massive body of water is not a problem for the Lord. Now you've come to a little bitty body of water that doesn't taste very good. Do you think that's a problem for the Lord? We've got to keep those things in mind in context or we don't really understand this. So Exodus 15 is the victory song and dance, the song of Moses. Every Israelite had experienced, witnessed, and benefited from God's deliverance. And we see a glimpse of their heart and emotion after the Exodus in that song. But it's one thing to stand by the Red Sea and shout glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord on Sunday. And it's another to walk with Him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday when the problems are coming. Amen? Amen. And so the Israelites are a lesson and a warning to us. God's got them in the lab of life, the school of faith, and they're going to learn three very important lessons. Something about themselves, something about life, and something about God. First, something about themselves. Look at verse 22 to 24. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness to Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying what? What shall we drink? What was uppermost in the minds and the hearts of the Israelites? Was it how to please God? It was what? Themselves. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What did they tell Moses? We just wish we was back at the stew pots being slaves. That's what we wish. You done brought us out here into the desert to kill us. What did Jesus say that such questions, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear, what did He say those reveal about our heart? That it's a trusting heart? That it's an anxious heart? I mean, go look at the robins. Are they out there fretting, hand-wringing, where are they going to get a worm on Tuesday morning? No, because they know God's going to provide. We hand-wring. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to do this? I mean, God just parted a body of water and drowned the whole Egyptian army. I think He's able. Amen? And you say, well, hey, you know, I, I can't really blame the, the Israelites. As, as Dr. Tony Evans said, they uh, just came through water and then they hit dry land. Very dry land. And they go three days without water. Now, any of you got, you've had small kids. Imagine traveling all this distance. You're not in your car. You're walking. You got a couple of sheep. You got your wife griping. I told you we should have stayed in Egypt. You got your kid crying. They're thirsty. How would you react? Now you come to water and you're like, yeah, praise the Lord, we got some water. And you reach down there and take a big old gulp of it and it's bitter as quinine. Would you be disappointed? Would you be saying, God, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to give you three things he's doing. One is he's testing his people. Remember what I said, Mr. Marty's not going to give his students a test on material that he hasn't covered when he gives a test, he's wanting to know, have the kids been listening and have they been learning? And God is the same. He's shaking his head. No, they haven't. God's doing the same thing with us going, but they ain't been listening and ain't been learning. The Red Sea was a water test. What is Mara? A water test. He's going, is anybody listening? Is anybody learning? 
So he's testing his people. Second, he's maturing his people. Often the only way to get to the promised land is what? To go through the wilderness. And we talked about what a glorious day it would be, and we all want to get there, don't we? But now how many of you want to really die? And how many of you want to potentially die with stage 4 cancer that's in your bones and it's a horrifying death? You want to get to the promised land, but sometimes it means going through the wilderness. See, we all we want to look like Christ, but we don't want to go through all that we have to do to get to destination sanctification. Alright? So he's maturing his people, he's testing his people, thirdly he's teaching his people, which really comes back to test. Turn to uh, Psalm 139. Now is God testing them because he doesn't know their hearts? Is he? Why is he testing them? Not because he doesn't know their hearts, but because they don't know their hearts. That's the something about themselves. Look at Psalm 139. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is what? Look, too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Yesterday, I... Uh, was blessed to actually harvest the dough and took it to the processor. And he said, Doc, you going tomorrow morning? You going tomorrow? You going to bring one in tomorrow? I said, no. I was joking. I said, I got to be a good boy. I got to go to church. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, I need to get back in church. And man, you should have seen the guy that had, before he acknowledged who I was and realized that I was a pastor, the guy that was over there, you know, dropping 92 F-bombs and this and that, you know, Hey, don't get upset over that I'm there. I just heard you talk for two minutes. God has searched you and known you in a much deeper way. Not to mention, I can say, well, I'm going to trust my heart. I'm going to trust my gut. Don't you do that. You say, well, I know my heart. No, you don't. What does the Bible say about it? It's deceitful. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? You can't understand your heart. And so that's what God is telling them. That's something they're going to learn about themselves. All right, next, something about life. Look at verses 24 and following. The people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? He cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water. I don't know how big that log was or how strong Moses was, but it don't take much of a log. It could have been a little bitty twig or stick. God can do anything, can't He? And the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and He tested them, saying, If you'll diligently listen to the voice, if you'll do that which is right in my eyes, and give ear to my commandments, and keep all of His statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you. I put on the Egyptians. What do you think is the key word in this whole section that I just read? Those three verses. It's in verse 25. If is one, but what's the if have to do with? There he tested them. What does the if have to do with? 
He's testing them. Yeah. The word in the Hebrew means to put to the test, to prove. Do you remember what I've talked about, the law of first mention? The first occurrence of the word. You know where it is? Genesis 22.1 God tested Abraham with who? Isaac. The father of their faith, Abraham, had been tested of the Lord. Tested with regards to what? Genesis 15.6 It says that Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Where else in the Bible it says without faith it is impossible to please God. God had assured Abraham of a seed, a land, a nation. Would Abraham believe it even as he had the knife ready to plunge it into Isaac's chest? Yes, because we read in Hebrews that he said even if God had to raise him from the dead which he had never seen, he knew God was able and God would be true to his word. As we read in Psalm 12 this morning, His Word is pure. Purified seven times. In other words, perfectly. If He says it, you can take it to the bank. And God's modus operandi is that He tests His people. So turn to Exodus 6. What did God told Israel? Turn to Exodus 6, because this is the test. This is the material. See if they've been paying attention. Were they listening and learning? Look at what it says. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will. There's seven I wills here. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Had God done that? Yes. I will deliver you from slavery to them. Had God done that? I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I would say crossing the Red Sea qualifies as a great act of judgment, wouldn't you? I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. You think they knew that He was God after that? So these first five things, had God been good on His Word? Could you take it to the bank? Alright, now look at number six and number seven. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. If he was good on the first five, do you think he's good on bringing them into the land and giving it to them as a possession? Yes. But here's the problem. It's a test. It's a test of the EFS, the emergency faith system. God said, I will. And he's done five of them. He's going to be good on the other two. But here it is, three days in, he's testing them. Are you learning and are you listening? And can I tell you, you know how you know you're failing the test? Dr. Tony Evans pointed this out. Man, when I read it, it slapped me right between the eyes because I was like, Buffy, you're failing a lot of tests. You know how you're failing the test? When you start complaining. Because what did Israel do? Start complaining. They're grumbling. Moses, why did you bring us out here? What are we even going to drink? They're failing the test. God's sin. Are they learning? Are they listening? Because this is how He works, brothers and sisters. And can I show you that a lot of times what happens is after God takes you through the test, there's something better. Because look at verse 27. 
They come to Elam. Is there a lack of water? There's a plethora of water. You ain't got to worry about getting spring, you know, bottled water and worry if it came from a fire hydrant or an actual spring in Texas. Twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamp there by the water. And so God's wondering are they learning? Are they listening? Three days they went from thanksgiving to grumbling. And isn't that how we do? God, I quit the family. I mean, I've done that. God's done miraculous things here at Crossway. And sometimes something starts to go sideways and you know what I do? God, I quit the family. Or I start complaining. And He's going, you're failing the test. It's a test of the emergency faith system. So as Israel learning and listening, time would tell. Now let me ask you this. In the midst of this, three days in, they're all thirsting to death because you can only go three days without water and then it's going to probably be off with your head, right? In this situation, were they in the center of God's will? The Israelites, as far as where they were at Marah. Yes. That is a lesson for us that being in the center of God's will sometimes is a painful experience. It does not preclude you from problems to be in the middle of God's will. We would do well to get that through our thick head, would we not? Let me give you a couple illustrations. Coach, you'll love one of them here in a second. First one is easy, a butterfly. What if there's a cocoon and you see the butterfly has hatched but it's still got to break through the little covering. And Marty says, well, in an act of compassion, I'm going to come up and I'm going to take a little small pair of scissors and I'm going to cut that thing and I'm going to let that butterfly out. What's going to happen to that butterfly? It's going to die because its wings will not grow. The struggle through the cocoon makes it what it is. Can I tell you, we are God's masterpiece. But that means that we have to struggle through some stuff to become the butterfly He wants us to be. Amen. Give you another way to think of it this way, Coach. Coach, imagine you had a kid on your basketball team. And he said, Coach, every time I try to dunk, every time I try to shoot a three-pointer, there's some guy's hand in my face and I just can't score. How would you <clears throat> respond to him, Coach? Pass the ball on. <laughs> Pass the ball. Here's the thing. That's what he's supposed to do. His job is not to let you score. <coughs> the point is, sometimes, why did God allow Job to go through what he did? To prove the devil wrong. Because the devil said, oh, Job loves you, but look at his life. It's a cakewalk. Man, you start to afflict him, he's going to run. He's going to curse you. His wife told him, said, just curse God and die. What did Job do? He said, man, I came in this world naked and naked, and I'm going to leave it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you know that sometimes God might be allowing... And Job, Job never knew. God never came in and said, Job, let me t- let you in on a little secret. Did He? Mm-mm. Do you know that sometimes some of the stuff I might be going through, 
some of the stuff you might be going through, the reason God is allowing us to go through it is because He's growing us. Mm -hmm. And He's maturing us and He's proving the devil wrong. The other thing, the last illustration of that, is if you come to me or you go to your cardiologist for a heart checkup, what do they do to test your heart? Stress, Stress it! They're going to say, what we're going to do, we got a nice little test for you. And you're like, nice little? And when you're about to die on the treadmill, or as uh, uh, Tony um, speaks at, um, oh, I can't think of his name, senior moment, that speaks at Winter Jam. Talked about when he had to get the denizene, you know, and you get that stress test and it feels like a, a mule done kicked you in the chest, you know. But the point being, obstacles are inevitable and they're vital to our life and growth. Alright, next, the last thing they learned was something about God. You know what our problems do? They allow God to show us more about Himself. If they had not gone through this, look at what they would not know and we would not know. Because look at the last of verse 26. Look at what it says. For I am the Lord your healer. That is an all capital Lord. That's Jehovah. I am Jehovah Rapha. The Lord who heals. And maybe you're saying, well, what's the connection? Because I don't get it. And you know what? You're right. Because you're a 21st century spoiled American. What would bitter water tell you? If you turn on your faucet, you take a big drink, and it's bitter, what would it tell you? It's not good. You know why we don't understand it? Because that's what we do. We just turn on faucets. We're spoiled, rotten. You've heard me tell the story. One of the times I'll never forget when we were in the swamp village. And Mama was there with her six kids. Six months before, they'd all had worms, and they were back in there, they all had worms again. She told me the story. She said, yeah, I can walk five miles this way and get clean water. I can walk a mile over here and I can dip out water and we can use that. Now, which one are you going to do? You've got to provide water for six kids every day. You're going to go the one mile, aren't you? And she said if she would dip that bucket into that water and pull it up, she could literally see the worms crawling in it. Why had God afflicted the Egyptians? Because they had every god under the sun, literally including the sun god, Ra, except for him. And he said, the first act of it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make your water undrinkable. And, I'm gonna, and like I said, I guarantee you they weren't all well. They were sick from it. And God has given them a test. And he's saying, are you going to listen to me for the next 40 years? Because you got two options. You can listen to me. And I can be your God. And I will not put on you the diseases of the Egyptians. Or you can have it like the Egyptians. You can have it your way. And you're going to get sick. Now let me say that I think that this, we're, this is Old Covenant. This is not New Covenant. We can't take the promises of the Old Covenant and translate them to the New Covenant unless they're reiterated. Nowhere, and we're going to look at ten things here over the rest of our time as far as Jehovah Rapha. This 
promise, I think, was for Israel for a short period of time. You can disagree with me. Don't matter. But the principle, our God does not change. Amen? Amen. He is what is called immutable. That is why in the Hebrews it says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That's right. And so while we are not the Israelites, God still is Jehovah Rapha. Right. Amen? And so now let's look at some instruction about that. How can we pass the test with regards to illness, sickness, and in health? Number one, a healing theme runs throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. I want to hear some pages turning because I want you to get this. I love this. When I knew it was a doctor, I got Jehovah Rapha. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Let's look at creation first. Look at Genesis 1, 11 to 13. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Man will not be created for three more days. You can agree or disagree with me. I believe that the acts of creation were a literal 24-hour days. God's not going to create man for three more days. How many more days before he sins in the fall? I don't know. From day seven to when they fell could have been two days, six months, hundred years. I don't know. But here's the point. A good, good father in his infinite foreknowledge and grace and love. Are you listening to me? As I was coming in this morning to come and prepare these turkeys for our meal, I heard on the radio, David Crowder, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. So, knowing that you and I were going to mess up, knowing that the result of that would be sin and illness and sickness and death, God made plants to heal. Wrap your mind around that. If you can't say He's a good, good Father, I got a list here. I shortened it from 125 to 30. Medicines from plants. I tell you, you know the greatest wonder drug of all? What is it? Aspirin. You know where it comes from? The willow tree. I've got on this list of 30 things, things that will cure anything from heart problems to burns to the miracle drug of aspirin to dysentery to infections to relaxed muscles to uh, help cough to cure cancer to gout to laxatives to Parkinson's medicines to high blood pressure medicines to depression medicines, asthma medications uh, I mean, you know, uh, eye problems, you know, uh, you name it. What an amazing God that He would do that before we ever even sin. 
So that's creation. What about the fall? Where in Scripture is the first prophecy of Messiah? Do you know? Genesis 3.15 Six verses later, God foreshadows through the killing of an innocent animal to cover, clothe Adam and Eve exactly what He was going to do to cover and clothe us and kill His own innocent Son. That's healing. Amen? And then redemption. What was Jesus' threefold ministry? According to Matthew 4.23, it was to preach, teach, and heal. In fact, one-fifth of the gospel narrative is devoted to Jesus' healing ministry. Every single day, in every way possible, Jesus showed that God is concerned and cares about our healing. And then consummation. I told David, you know how the Spirit works? David, did you and I talk this week? No. No. What song did David have on here earlier? What a day that will be. You know what song I've got in my notes here? What a day that will be. No more sickness. Can I get an amen? amen? No more pain. No more arthritis. No more rheumatism. No more backaches. No more headaches. No more belly aches. Glory. Hallelujah. How's he going to affect that? Because there's going to be a tree and all you're going to have to do is go over there and pick a leaf off and chew on it. Ain't God good. Mm. Number two, Christians are not guaranteed wellness, little less healing. Now I'm at odds with a lot of people here, including Joe Osteen, but I don't care. If I'm at odds with Joe Osteen, it's probably I'm in pretty good shape. The prosperity gospel, listen to this. This is what it says. That health and wealth are the automatic right of all Bible-believing Christians and may be procreated by faith. Marty, now you just need to procreate your chromosomes correctly, sir. Why do we get sick? It's, uh, it's our divine right never to even get a virus. That's crazy. Let me ask you this. If that were true, why did Job get bulls? says the man was blameless and righteous, upright before God. I'm just reading the Word now. Don't get mad at the messenger. That's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. Exactly, that's what to throw out. Well, good thing that Miss Pam brought that up because let me turn to Philippians 2.27. You don't have to turn there. Why did Epaphroditus get sick to the point of death? Now that's New Testament. Paul says he was a phenomenal Christian. Why did he get sick to the point of death if it's your automatic divine right? And let me ask you this. Why is every believer but two died? Because it's not an automatic divine right. It's not a guarantee that Christians are not going to get sick. Number three. And this one you may find strange. But I want to throw it in there. Not all sickness or death is caused by sin, but some is. An example of it not being caused by sin is in John 9, 2. Remember the man born blind? And they bring him to Jesus and they say, Jesus, tell us what's wrong with this guy. Who sinned, him or his parents? And what did Jesus say? Neither one of them. Neither one of them. What about Job? Again, what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? Some examples of illness caused by sin. 
Numbers 12. Remember Miriam's leprosy? She starts spouting off at the mouth about Moses. What does God do? Boom! Here's your good case of leprosy. Enjoy that. Now that's Old Testament, so let's get some New Testament. What did Paul say about why do we talk about it all the time about the Lord's Supper and not taking it unworthily? What did Paul say? Some of you have taken it unworthily and that's why you are sick and some have even died. Brothers and sisters, this doesn't mean every time we get a little cold that we do a inventory. But when we get significantly ill, we would do well to take a inventory. Because there is a sin unto death, there is the principle of sowing and reaping, and there is a command to know and to do what is right and not do it is sin. Alright, fourth. God heals us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Physically, He healed Naaman. Mentally, He healed Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, he's out mentally ill. I don't know what he had, bipolar, schizophrenia or something, but he was eating grass like a cow. Emotionally, we see this in Psalm 34 and spiritually. In Isaiah 1.18, that our sin has become clear from crimson red to white as snow. Now, I tell people in the office all the time, these first three, physically, mentally, and emotionally, that there's a couple of avenues in which God will heal us. You listening? Sometimes God will heal us by prayer and faith. Amen? Now, that ought to be the very first thing that we do. Will Rogers said the problem with our prayers is we use them as a means of last resort. Mm-hmm. Don't go to the doctor first. Pray about it first. But is it always going to be God's will to heal you by prayer and faith? So it might be a herb or a plant. It might be some aspirin. Or it may be medicine or surgery. I saw some sarcastic celebrity this week that was saying, well, if you get appendicitis... Do you go to the hospital or the church? Yes. Both. You better go to the hospital, but you better pray that your surgeon is guided by the great physician. Amen? Amen. And so I think mentally, when it comes to mental illness, brothers and sisters, I say this all the time, and I'll throw us in here. It might make us go a little bit long, but it's okay. I get tired of people in the church talking bad about mental health. Can I tell you that a person that has diabetes has a problem right here in their pancreas. And it's a chemical problem. Kayla has a chemical problem. Her pancreas doesn't make enough insulin. Can I tell you somebody that's depressed, they have a chemical problem. It just happens to be in a different organ up here. Now what we do in the church is we say this, oh, I just, oh man, you got diabetes, that's so terrible. I'd hate to have diabetes. And then you know what we do with somebody that's got anxiety, depression, bipolar, stuff like that? We say, well, you know, A, A, we say they're faking it, and B, we say, well, you ought to just have enough faith and you wouldn't be sick. That's like telling a type 1 diabetic if they would just have enough faith, their pancreas would kick in. Brothers and sisters, we've got to take it serious in the church that mental health is a real problem and a real issue and it's just as real and as severe as someone who has a physical issue. But God can heal us that way too. Alright, number five. God's will may or may not be to heal this side of eternity. 
Let me give you, God's will in general is basically the final reason for everything that happens, right? But God's will in distinction is that there is a secret will and a revealed will. God's revealed will is that He is not willing that any would perish, but all come to everlasting life, right? But doesn't the Bible also teach us that not everybody is going to repent and have everlasting life and some are going to spend eternity in hell? So there's God's revealed will, but then God's secret will. Do you see the difference? And so God's uh, revealed will is that He is our Jehovah Rapha. But the secret will is that not everybody is going to be healed this side of eternity. So our prayer ought to always be this. Lord, our will is that you would heal this person and not just heal them so they can get well. Heal them for your glory. That's right. And then, Lord, if it's not your will, give us the strength to endure this and the peace to endure this. And ultimately, we have to say at the end of the day, just like Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Now, as a commercial from your family doctor, this truth of God's will does not absolve you of personal responsibility for your health. No more so than the truth of the doctrine of election absolves man of personal responsibility before the Lord. I don't care what you think about election, this extreme or this extreme, man is responsible for his own actions and his own choice to receive or reject Jesus Christ as Savior. And so in other words, do your part. Eat right. The number one drug you put in your body every day is food. Exercise. I just saw an article from Cleveland Clinic. I'm going to have to revamp what I tell patients because I tell them the worst thing you can do for your health is to smoke. And in this uh, 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 study they did, they showed that not exercising is worse than smoking. So eat right, exercise, and take your meds. Some of us really want you to take your medication. You know what I mean? (laughs) But y'all know the old joke about the guy that dies and goes to heaven. And he asks God, why'd you let me die? And he said, you know, it was a flood and it's coming up on the house and he has to go up on the rooftop and God sends two boats and a helicopter. And God said, I sent two boats and a helicopter. What more did you want me to do? So sometimes God is saying, hey, eat right, exercise, and take your meds. What more do you want me to do to heal you? We have a responsibility in that, right? Alright, number six. Trials and troubles, including sickness, can get us back on track. And we talked about that this morning. Listen to this in Psalm 119. Let me find it. You'll understand what I mean here in just a second. By the by. Psalm 119.67 Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And in verse 37, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. The psalmist there says it was good that God spanked my rear end. Can I tell you that sometimes the only way God can get us to look up is to put us on our back? And sometimes the only way He can put you on your back is to make you physically or otherwise sick. Patty told the story, and I'll tell the story of a patient. 
Patty told the story this morning. That her dad, her and her sisters, they thank God for kidney cancer. Now, I'm not wishing kidney cancer on anybody, but she said that if her daddy would not have gotten kidney cancer, he wouldn't have ever known the Lord. And the last 18 months they had with that man was the most glorious time ever. It was because God put him on his back. And I had a gentleman. I will never forget it. I can still see that card over there in the old office sitting on my desk and when I opened that thing it almost fell out on the floor. man came to see me. He had esophageal cancer. And I told him, I said, Mr. Benny, this was shortly after I got saved myself. I said, I ain't got a flipping thing I can do to help you, brother. I said, but there's one thing I can do. I can be sure that you know Jesus is Lord and Savior and that one day He will heal you. And I sat right there and I shared the gospel with that man in room four. And a couple weeks later, I got a card from his family. They said, we just want you to know that that seed that you planted, our daddy got saved and baptized last week. Sometimes... God will put us on the back because that's the only way He can get us to look up. Number seven, we need the community of faith when we're sick. Here's how it goes in the 21st century. Anybody get sick, you call the doctor. That don't work. You phone a friend. That don't work. You get a second opinion. Amen? <laughs> didn't like the first opinion. They didn't like the second opinion. Now let me get a third one. Here's how it worked in the first century according to James. You call for the elders. They anoint and pray over you. Then you confess sins one to another. Then you cry out praying for each other. Did you notice what's the common thing in all of that? Prayer. Who says there's no point in going to church? Where is James 5, 14 to 16 in our churches today? Where is when we get together and we anoint people with oil when they're physically sick, mentally sick, emotionally sick, and lay hands on them and pray for them to be well? Where is that? That ain't Pentecostal. That's biblical. Amen. But what we do is we say, well, it might be biblical, but it ain't Baptist, and we ain't going to do that because they might think we're kind of crazy and touched in the head. They might think we're a holiness church. No, you're just being Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is your healer. Listen to this, this one lady. She said, when I was diagnosed with a deadly disease, my first friend came and expressed shock by saying, I can't believe you're sick. I always thought you were so active and healthy. He left and I felt alienated and somehow very different. My second friend came and brought me info about different treatments and gave me his opinion about what to do. He left and I felt scared and confused. My third friend came and tried to answer my wives and told me God may be disciplining me for some sin in my life. Now that's a friend, ain't it? She left and I felt guilty. My fourth friend came and told me that if my faith was greater, God would heal me. He left and I felt like my faith must be inadequate. My fifth friend came and told me to remember that all things work together for good. She left and I felt angry. My sixth friend never came at all. I felt sad and alone. My seventh friend came and held my hand and said, I care. I'm here. I want to help you through this. She left. I felt loved and I knew everything was going to be okay. We need each other. And there's no greater time when we need each other than when we're sick. Amen. Number eight, faith is a force in healing. There's two ends of the extreme here. One, you just got to have faith, 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 faith. And if so, you'll be healed of anything and everything, which we've already said is not true. And then the other end of the spectrum is God just doesn't heal today. There's no healing spiritual gifts. Well, can I tell you that healing is one of my spiritual gifts? 
But it ain't that I do the healing, it's that God does the healing through me. So what we do, we pray. And then we have faith. But we never demand that God will heal us. And then we're always willing to accept whatever God's answer is. Joni Erickson Tata, many of you may know her. She's uh, uh, paraplegic. She said, God certainly can and sometimes does heal people in a miraculous way today, but the Bible does not teach He will always heal those who come to Him in faith. He sovereignly reserves the right to heal or not heal as He sees fit. One guy said this, listen to this, I've prayed a hundred, he said, I've prayed hundreds if not thousands of times for the Lord to heal me and He finally healed me of the need to be healed. Mm. And then number nine, all healing comes through Jesus Christ, the great physician. Any doctor, nurse, EMT that takes the credit for anybody's healing ought to be slapped. Because all glory goes to who? God and Him alone. Who do you think heals the Muslim? God. Through common grace. All healing comes through Him. And then number ten, ultimate healing comes through death. And it's for all eternity. Paul says even the worst we could ever experience here on this earth. I love this verse. You ought to put it to memory. 2 Corinthians 4.17 He says this light momentary afflictions is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. Can I tell you, even if you had stage 4 cancer to your bones, it's a light momentary affliction. And one day you're going to have a glorified body that won't tear up. There won't be no wrinkle cream in heaven. There won't be no stethoscopes. There won't be no need for the doctors. Glory, hallelujah. As I tell my patients all the time, I can take that stethoscope and I can retire it. Think about it. God in Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. How is death precious? I'm going to pick on him because him saying what he said has meant more to me in this aspect than anybody. Coach, is it precious that Miss Bonnie died? Because she has an end to suffering and sorrow and pain. And he said in all the praying, he and Bonnie finally came to this conclusion. All this praying we've been doing, all we've been doing is praying to keep you out of heaven. That has stuck with me. And I've shared that with so many people. God's going to heal us one day. Even if it's through death. And then it's going to be forever. And won't you be glad there ain't going to be no cancer. And glory. I'll share this one story with you and then I've got a poem to read and we're done. Tony Campalo tells a story. He was in a church where he was asked to pray for a man that had cancer. And he prayed boldly for the man's healing. Next week he got a telephone call from his wife. And she said, Sir, you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. Man, he about started jumping up and down. She used the past tense. He had cancer. His cancer's gone. And then she said this, He died. He felt terrible. She said, don't feel bad. When you saw him, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time and he hated God. 
He was 58 years old and he wanted to see his children and grandchildren grow up. He was angry that this all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. The more his anger grew towards God, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. And she continued, she said, After you prayed for him, a peace came over him and joy came into him. Tony, the last three days have been the best days of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, we've read scripture, we've prayed. Oh, they've been wonderful days. And I called to thank you for laying your hands on him and praying for healing. And then she left him with this. Tony, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. Mm. He wasn't cured, but he was healed. In closing, I felt the best way to close it was simply a little poem that I found entitled The Great Physician. And aren't you thankful this week of all weeks that you know the Great Physician? Welcome to the Great Physician. Office hours are as you come. You ain't got to worry about it being 9 to 5 or the doctor not being on call or not, or being on call. He's a specialist in all problems and his day is never done. You ain't got to worry about if you got to go to the GI doctor, pulmonary doctor, the heart doctor, whatever. He specializes in it all. Amen? He can heal a heart that's broken. He can mend the spirit too. No matter what your ailment, he does have the cure for you. His fee for service never alters. He serves rich and poor as well. He's our one chance for salvation. He alone saves us from hell. There's no fee for services rendered. All he asks is that we believe that he bled and died to save us and all his blessings we will receive. Do you have a special problem that is troubling you this hour? Then just simply leave it with him. You can find no greater power. Don't delay in seeking treatment. Please, my friend, don't hesitate for his office is soon closing and he'll shut and lock the gate. I wouldn't want you to suffer while the doctor's so close by. Listen to this, how it closes. Your whole life will be much better if my physician you will try. Aren't you thankful and isn't your life better today because you know Jehovah Rapha, the great physician. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Father, I just thank you for this service today. It has been tremendous. It is so sweet to come and taste and know that you are so good. Father, we couldn't have a thousand thanksgivings and thank you enough. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you most of all for who you are, Father, that you are Jehovah Rapha. Thank you for healing us. Thank you for, Father, doing it eternally through the precious blood of Christ. And we don't take it lightly that your son had to live a perfect life and Father then died death that he didn't deserve so that we can enjoy an eternity we didn't deserve. And so we're thankful for that. I pray as we come to this time of invitation, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that this will be the hour that they come to know him as such. We ask you to pour your Holy Spirit down upon us now. And Father, as we then partake of the food you've given us, that it would nourish our bodies and then that Father, you would send us on our way and you would bring us back safely. Bless us and keep us that we can gather together again to encourage one another and to come most importantly and worship you. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen.
far as invitation, maybe you're not kind of got a sick and twisted mind like myself, but you ever wonder what you'll die from? I do. I got too much knowledge. You get a little arm ache and you go, oh Lord, is that the beginning of this or that? You know, every first and second year medical student, your medical students dying of everything they read in the book. <clears throat> Have you ever seriously wondered what you'll die from or how you'll die? I'm shooting that gun yesterday on that tripod. My Lord, I pray this uh, tripod stands because I sure don't want to fall back and die a broken neck. Can I tell you that no matter what the doctor puts on the death certificate, I'm going to give you some pretty bad news, some depressing news. Do you know that the ultimate cause of your death is really your own sin? Mm -hmm. No matter what's on Buffy Cook's death certificate, the ultimate cause of my own death will be my own sin. I'm just telling you Scripture. Because all of sin comes short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. What have we said? Bad news is life has problems. The good news is what? God's got a name for every one of them. But God, Jehovah Rapha, demonstrated His own love towards us and while we were sinners, Christ died for us to heal us. Amen. To give us the free gift that no matter what's on your death certificate, it don't matter. You can cross it out. It's already as good as said and done. Your name is in the book of life. Amen. And you're as, as good as raised from the dead as Jesus Christ is, is sitting in the heavens now. Amen? Amen? So the only question is, have you ever come to Him in faith? Have you ever confessed Him as Lord and Savior? If you haven't ever done that, do that today as we stand and sing. Let's stand, page 318. Have you failed in your plans of your storm-tossed life? Place your hand in the nail-scarred hand. Are you weary and worn from his toil and strife? Place your hands in the nail-scarred hand. Place your hands in the nail-scarred hands. Place your hands in the nail-scarred hands. He will keep till the end. He's your dearest friend. Place your hand in the nail-scarred hands.